Hello there and welcome to In Your Own Kin. I'm your host Charlotte. I'm a lover of great food, sometimes artist, sleep-in advocate, storyteller, mama and postpartum professional in Nam, Melbourne. Each week I'll be chatting to families about their journey into parenthood, the grandest of adventures. Parenting is beautiful, messy, sparkly, hard work. You were never meant to do this alone. It's time to get comfy in your own kin. In Your Own Kin acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land where you are listening to today's episode. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and recognize that the telling of stories has happened here since time immemorial. In Your Own Kin is recorded by the Birurung on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has not and is not ceded and it remains stolen. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello there, wishing you a very happy NAIDOC week. In this week's episode, Alice shares her parenthood journey and life with her husband Dave and their son Hugo. Alice reflects on her pregnancy, birth and postpartum. Alice speaks so openly and honestly about her experience of matrescence and the huge identity shift she has experienced. This episode is an absolute must listen wherever you are on your parenthood journey. I hope you find some solace in Alice's story. You can see photos of Alice and her gorgeous family over on Instagram at Kim by Charlotte and on the brand new In Your Own Kin website, which are both linked in the show notes. Here's Alice. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Alice. It's such a pleasure to be able to meet you, not really face-to-face, kind of face-to-face. Kind of face-to-face. It feels more face-to-face than Instagram DMs. <laughs> no, it's lovely to meet you too, and I'm really excited to be on the podcast after listening to so many of your episodes. Really exciting. Aww. Alice, would you like to let everyone know a little bit about you, where you're living and who's in your family? So my name's Alice. I live with my husband, Dave, and our... 16-month-old little boy, Hugo. We live in Yarraville in inner Melbourne. Uh, We have two cats, which makes us sound like crazy people, and I don't (laughs) know when we entered that territory, but that's our family. I would say the cats have become um, second-class citizens since Hugo's (laughs) apartment. Their names are Cairo and Cyril. Talk to me about when it was you and Dave. Talk to me about pre-parenthood life. We have been together for a long time. We've been together basically since um, the end of school. Yeah, I guess sort of did uni together, both did different things, but went both went to Monash University. So sort of shared that chapter of our lives together. We then sort of moved out together towards the end of uni. Both finished uni in the same year. Um, I studied law. When we both finished uni, he got a job in Switzerland. And I got a job as a lawyer here, which I decided to defer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both moved to Switzerland in 2015. I was only there for a year and it was an interesting year. Sometimes it was really hard because I was in Switzerland with not really great I just, I didn't have a network of people there. Yeah. The people who were there were sort of, you know, much older and really not where we were. But by the same token, we spent every weekend traveling somewhere in Europe. So I cannot complain too much. It was hard at times, but also just generally amazing at all of the other times. So we had, Mm -hmm. yeah, a pretty crazy life over there. And yeah, I came back to start work as a lawyer and 
He stayed over there for two years. We did the long distance thing, which was a bit of a nightmare. But then he came back and the rest was history. We sort of hit the ground running. We moved to Yarraville. We got married and then we pretty quickly got pregnant. We love food, spent most of our, I guess, all of those years just spending money on food traveling to all sorts of places and it's just being you know young and frivolous <laughs> totally it feels like another lifetime now right yeah yeah definitely and so you said that you came back got married and fell pregnant all kind of quickly did you have conversations about starting a family before you fell pregnant yeah no we did and it was definitely planned um sort of you know there was time between the stages but they sort of came in quick succession I suppose we got yeah got pregnant in in May 2020 pretty quickly so we were lucky lucky to conceive quickly and I think in the in the months before that we went from sort of it had always been on our agenda we probably both didn't think it would happen that we would want to do it so soon but then we just sort of decided and once once it was in my head I was like well now I obviously want it yesterday um (laughs) and yeah I don't know it was at an interesting point in my career I had sort of my husband's a management consultant everything is always very planned out we had a hilarious sort of few weeks where we were quite literally sort of we would usually be spreadsheeting, but this time it wasn't spreadsheeting. It was like whiteboarding. Well, if we got pregnant in this month, then what would that mean for my job now? And what about my plans to go on and become a barrister? Like when will I sit the bar exam and how will that work with my pregnancy? And it was all this just so um, like it, it's hilarious to me now and it's particularly <laughs> hilarious given how much my career goals have changed in that time but it was very much from done from the perspective of oh we'll slot the baby in here and that's going to yeah. be fantastic and then I'm just going to continue to be the person that I was always going to be and we'll just have a baby along for the ride. <laughs> I feel that so, like in my soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we literally still have the whiteboard sitting at the back of our, um, I I pulled it out about six months ago or something. I saw it in the back of the wardrobe um, and just laughed. So funny. And I mean, we were lucky that we were, you know, we did conceive quickly. So at least we ticked that box of the whiteboard. (laughs) So we were planned about it. We always wanted it. We had a friend's wedding at the start of, around that time up in Byron. And we did a road trip down the coast from Byron to Melbourne two weeks. We slept in a swag and all these beautiful places um, and sort of, talked a lot about it on that trip and that was yeah that's actually a sort of lovely memory we have of the sort of tight the precipice of entering into pregnancy oh so beautiful and what was it like actually finding out I think I was I went out to dinner with a friend who had had a baby who was probably five months she had probably had a four month old by that point and I was like oh I'm probably not pregnant like I'd sort of convinced myself that I was pregnant but I was like no I'm, I'm just being silly and she's like well why don't you do a pregnancy why don't you just do a pregnancy test but you know do it in the morning like you need to if, if your period isn't due yet you should do it in the morning when you know your way is stronger or whatever yeah. <laughs> um, so of course I went and bought a pregnancy test on the drive home got home had a packet of pregnancy tests and I was like well now that they are like in my possession, how could I not do one right now? And Dave wasn't home. So I did one and yeah, it, it definitely appeared to be positive. Um, and Dave walked in the door sort of a few hours later and I just had this look on my face <laughs> and he immediately was like, oh my God, 
I know, I know what you've done and I, yeah, I can't believe it. Like amazing. I think he probably would have hoped that I had waited for him, but once I had that box of tests, I was like, no, I just, yep. <laughs> so it was yeah, very exciting. I think neither of us could believe it. Obviously it had happened pretty quickly and um, easily, which was fantastic, but yeah, so a big shock, but exciting. Mm-hmm. Such a special time. My gosh. And I'm one of those. I think I had sort of probably even at that point, I sort of knew that I would tell people pretty early. I just don't, I honestly don't know how people keep it a secret for, you know, 12 weeks or whatever the mythical number is. And, you know, I, my view has always been that I would prefer my nearest and dearest to be there to support us if anything did go wrong. So um, yeah, we told, we told people pretty quickly, which was yeah exciting. How did those conversations go? I love those conversations. They're so special. Oh yeah. I think I sort of took the approach of, I would be catching up with a friend or a family member or whatever, and we'd be sort of 45 minutes into our dinner or whatever. And then out of nowhere, I'd be like, I'm pregnant. Um, and just drop the bomb, um, which I took quite a lot of, I got quite a lot of satisfaction out of. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs> and how were you feeling physically at that point? Yeah, I um, was pretty good. I didn't, I really didn't have any, I certainly wasn't vomiting or like I was very lucky to not have much morning sickness. There was one period of time where I, if I didn't eat breakfast immediately, I would feel nauseous. But other than that, I was okay. So it was, I guess because I didn't have a whole lot of symptoms, it was, it was that constant, like you go to the bathroom and every time you check your undies because you're convinced that something is going to go wrong. But yeah, I think I, I've, I've vomited once and I think that wasn't even necessarily morning sickness. It was like I was maybe a bit nauseous and then I took a prenatal before having breakfast or whatever and I was sick. And I remember Dave saying, oh, he just came into the bathroom, heard me vomiting and was like, oh, well, this is exciting. And I was like, well, I guess it's sort of like, well, it's not exciting because I'm sick and I'm being sick and this is like, I mean, this is gross. But also I guess it is sort of exciting because this is the first sort of proof that this is real. (laughs) How are you feeling emotionally? Yeah, I was good. I was at, um, at that point in time, I had left my job working at a law firm and I was, I was working as an associate at the Court of Appeal. So working for a judge, which was a very exciting job and challenging in many ways, but also had very good balance compared to my work as a a lawyer at a firm. So I had really good hours and I felt very supported on that front. So yeah, it was actually, it was a really good job to be pregnant in. Mm, That's so fabulous. And were you connecting in with a support network at that time? Had you thought about the people that were going to hold you through your pregnancy and into parenthood as well? Or was that something that maybe came a little later? Probably later into the pregnancy I was getting onto the birth prep and all of that but I was mindful of the fact that I didn't want to just focus on birth and by that point I had discovered Tales from the Fourth Trimester. I loved that and that was honestly one of my main my sort of main prep tools for preparing for newborn life and so I, I consumed a lot of information through that and through other other podcasts which was just amazing like I went from really not having listened to any podcasts at all in my life to just I mean there were so many resources and I think everything was really starting to boom at that point in time as well and in terms of sort of physical support and people to come along for the ride I was in terms of my sort of main groups of friends I felt like we were pretty young and and the first ones sort of off the mark in terms of having kids but I saying that I did actually have two very close friends one of whom is like my best friend from uni she was due two days after me so we were very much in it together and we had another very close friend who her baby is now four months older than our babies we sort of we had that really tight group and we were sort of all going through the motions together which was just 
so great then, so great in newborn times and so great now. So, yeah, that was very, we were very fortunate to have that. Oh, that's so lovely to have a group that is right there in the thick of it with you, isn't it? Just to be able to be like, heck, that's so special. Oh, absolutely. And even in terms of like pregnancy, I was, yeah, really well in pregnancy right up until the sort of the last two months I had really bad pelvic girdle pain and I sort of went from being really active. Like I was honestly the most active in my pregnancy that I've been in my entire life. Like I've never been a good exerciser. I've never been particularly diligent at anything like that, but I somehow, it's like pregnancy brought out the best in me and I (laughs) was going to Pilates all the time. I was doing... I was doing a lot and I felt really fit and then probably went too hard, like literally hadn't converted into the prenatal Pilates. I was just doing normal Pilates, which was, with the benefit of hindsight, stupid. Um, and, you know, by that point, and I think also I'm, I'm very tall, so I just never felt that pregnant. I never looked that pregnant. It took me a long while to actually look properly pregnant and it got to the last two months of pregnancy and I did. I either did something or it might have just happened anyway and that's what sort of brought on this terrible pelvic girdle pain which sort of rendered me pretty immobile for a month or so before I started doing some swimming but yeah at that same time my best friend was also having terrible pelvic pain although hers was the sort of sacroiliac stuff and it was like we were both lamenting the fact that we couldn't sleep at night and were in pain rolling over in bed and yeah so we definitely went through it all at the same time which was which was really good. And you mentioned that you were preparing for birth. Let's talk about that a little bit. How were you prepping for that? Yeah, so we did sort of a lot of arming and ahhing. We'd obviously heard about like calm birth, we'd heard about hypnobirthing, had discovered she births in Sydney and it was sort of like both had our hectic research hats on and we were sort of thinking, (laughs) what are the differences between all of these and which ones are we going to do? Anyway, we ended up doing a calm birth course through someone in Hampton and that was a sort of two Sundays or maybe three Sundays, full day and And I loved that. And Dave loved it too. It was just, it was just so nice to take time out to just be focusing on, I guess, the task ahead of us, but also learning things together. Like we obviously had never, it just sort of felt like we'd never, you know, we'd never done the course together or sort of done any kind of formal learning together. So it was sort of nice to go through that. And the process is a good one. Like half of the day was sort of doing the meditations and the relaxations. And so it was actually really, yeah, a really nice process. So yeah, the Calm Birth course was great. And then, you know, podcasting. Although to be honest, I didn't, I sort of resisted listening to too many birth stories at that point. I sort of wanted to stay in more of a like I knew that things could go wrong whatever but I just wanted to stay in a bit of a more positive mindset so I actually probably listened to more of fourth trimester type stuff and how were you prepping for the fourth trimester it was probably at that point more of a mental thing it was like I know this is going to be difficult and I need to think about it but in terms of what support systems we actually set up well Mm. we didn't set up a whole lot my friend who yeah was like four months ahead of us she offered to set up a meal train which was amazing and you know obviously had one of those oh is this awkward do I feel bad about asking people for this that sort of are we going to put our hands up and ask for help particularly because we were or we felt like we were the first of our sort of friendship group to do it it was like people didn't know how hard it was it sort of felt like a real imposition. Anyway, I ended up saying yes and that was fantastic and she, you know, sent out the email um, and it was all with the best of intentions and a lot of people, you know, notionally signed up. Sort of was a bit of a bit of a fail in the end. It didn't, um, you know, we had a few meals dropped off but um, I think a combination of people not really understanding the purpose of the meal train and thinking that they would also come for a visit and so wait to line up their visit with the meal train delivery but also the imposition of COVID that then came. Yeah, COVID kind of ruined even the best laid plans, right? Definitely. 
Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't do a lot physically in terms of setting up. We, you know, um, I, I knew that my mum would be a great help and that was sort of it. It was like we know it's going to be hard and we're going to take it easy, but um, we don't really have, we didn't physically set anything up, no. We didn't have a whole lot of people to warn us about it. Yeah. But even if we did, and like we sort of did, like my brother had a baby a few years before that and um, we we're very close with them, but people also don't want to... You know, it's always that fine line of sort of mm-hmm. wanting people to be excited about their baby coming and wanting to prepare them for the realities but not wanting to rain on their parade and also not wanting to be that, like, just you wait person. Yes, just you person wait till the baby comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's really hard. It is very tricky. Talk to me about those last few weeks before Hugo arrived. How were you travelling then? Yeah, so I had sort of um, probably the pelvic pain came on right before Christmas. I had a month of just feeling just we were down at the beach, um, which meant that I sort of couldn't do any of the sort of physio pilates or anything to move. And I was, I couldn't walk, like well, I was walking onto the beach, but it was certainly wasn't good for my pelvis. And I, mm. I just felt a bit sorry for myself in that, that sort of early January month. Um, like just even walking was causing me a lot of pain, but by February, I don't know if it got it slightly better. Well, I had stopped work. So I initially had planned to work up until, you know, I wanted to save all my mat leave so that I could get, you know, the best bang for my buck once I actually had the baby. And then um, once that time came around, and particularly with the pelvic pain, I was, you know, walking around the corridors of the Supreme Court, like in terrible pain. <laughs> and I was like, this is going to stop. Let's, let's stop. So I ended up taking the sort of, you know, normal four weeks off um, before. And I'm so glad that I did mm-hmm. because I actually started swimming at that point, which I have never been a big swimmer. My mum is like, my mum swims in the sea every single day of the year, including in winter. So she has always been wanting to push me into swimming. Um, <laughs> and she'd been saying, Trey, you might really enjoy swimming in pregnancy, et cetera, et cetera. And but finally, in the last month of my pregnancy, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to swim. <laughs> and I loved it. When I have swam in the past I sort of would find myself just getting bored or I would just sort of lose patience for it after however many laps I'd obviously been craving the movement and I was able to move in a pretty painless fashion and actually I was able to achieve distances swimming in my you know last month of pregnancy that I have never been able to do before and I I credit Hugo for that because I think he must have been a bit of a flotation device or something (laughs) (laughs) it was good so I was swimming a lot it was February so it was really warm and I was honestly, yeah, one of the best months of my life. I was reading, I was swimming, I was seeing cafes. Like it was, yeah. it was a very, it was very lovely and very special. And I'm very mindful of the fact that I'm probably not going to get, like, I certainly won't get another month like that yeah. because in any subsequent pregnancy I will have, I will not be on my own. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, isn't it? I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I just need to like savor every moment of this. This is the last mm. time I will ever be this yeah. person. Yeah. Totally. Mm. And I probably thought I was going to get impatient because I'm a pretty impatient person, but I don't know, I sort of filled my time and I mean, I would have if I'd gone much more over than I did, but yeah, it was sort of, it was sort of the perfect amount of time. Mm, Gorgeous. And what were the first signs that Hugo might be arriving? Yes, I was, I was due on a due um, in in inverted commas on a Friday um, and 
I we had um, a relative's birthday party on the Saturday, and I and it was a dress up party. And at all times, I had been like, "Well, I'm obviously not going to that party because I'm <laughs> obviously going to have a baby by then. I'm going to be in hospital." And Friday rolled around. I remember going for a swim on that Friday, hanging out with my niece, and certainly was not having a baby that day. And they got to Saturday and nothing. And then it got to Saturday afternoon and we still had no costume arranged for this party. <laughs> and I was like, and Dave kept being like, we need to work out what we're wearing tonight. Um, it was like a medieval themed party. And I was like, no, let's just, we'll wait. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the afternoon. Got to the afternoon and we had to organise costumes. So we ended up going to like the next street along, which had olive trees and were literally like making head bands out of olive branches and (laughs) we set off to the party that evening put the hospital bag in the car because I was like no we're taking the hospital bag because you just (laughs) never know what is going to happen as we were heading off to the party I did start to feel sort of period pain cramp kind of sensation but I was mindful that you know my friend who had a baby recently and had that for a week so I was like you know that's probably nothing and then at the party it was sort of up and about um, enjoying lots it was amazing food at this party which was great so I ate a lot of food and did as we sort of kept staying because it was like oh more like different canapes just kept <laughs> presenting themselves and I was like well I'm gonna have to have some of that and that and during conversations at the party it was like I could feel I could feel things happening but I was certainly able to maintain conversation and everything but I felt like something was probably going to happen that night so I think we got home went to bed at about 11 p.m slept soundly and then woke up at 3 a.m with contractions yeah and I remember going to the bathroom I think Dave like Dave was still asleep went to the bathroom checked my phone a friend of mine who was living in London at the time had sent me a text message to say they'd gotten engaged which just then I only remembered about two weeks later because it just got swept up in the labor you know it's all very funny you know I went back to Dave and said oh this is happening and he was trying to be all you know, Mr. Calmbirth, you know, this is going to take a long time, try and get some sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, no, I'm not sleeping. I'm certainly not going to be sleeping. <laughs> Got the TENS machine, put the TENS machine on. And I think we even called the hospital. <laughs> I was like, all of the learnings from Calmbirth went out the window. I was like, well, we need to call the hospital right now. I need to tell everyone that, you know, I'm in labour. <laughs> so, yeah, we were sort of up at that point and I remember saying to Dave, oh, you're going to need to call the crazy cat ladies, which is the, the people who look after the cat. <laughs> you're going to have to call the crazy cat ladies because we need to send them off. And Dave was like, yeah, okay, well, I'll call them at 9am. I'm like, we're not going to be here at 9am, I'm telling you that. I don't know. We then spent probably two hours just sort of walking around the house making snacks like I was cutting up oranges, like preparing for a netball game. Um <laughs> Called the hospital. They said, you know, eat something. Let us know how you're going in an hour or so. And even though I knew we would be better, well, notionally would be better off staying at home and labouring at home for as long as we could. Once that was happening, I just, I just wanted to be at the hospital. I was like, I don't want to have to make that decision later. I just want to know that I am where I'm going to end up. So I sort of called back, and I also had had friends who had been turned turned away by the hospital because you know they weren't you know ready enough or whatever. So we sort of called back, and I said, hello, yes, I spoke to a midwife before, and we're coming in now. So thank you. See you soon. <laughs> yeah, so then we I think we got to the hospital at 6 30 a.m. So it was all it was all pretty quick at that point. Like I was, you know, the drive was you hear a 
people talking about how terrible that drive is. And, well, first of all, it only took us 15 minutes to get to the hospital, which was the quickest drive we've ever had, thanks to it being 6am. Well, I think contractions were about five minutes apart at that point. I mean, I think I must have done quite a lot of pre-labour at the party and in my sleep with the benefit of hindsight, which is a great result. I must have just had a lot of oxytocin flowing through my body, courtesy of all those canapes at the party. So Absolutely. The love was That high. was good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you got to the hospital at 6.30 and had the TENS going. It's interesting. I've gone through, I've unpacked a lot of this in the months and years since in terms of how I feel about, you know, our choice of care provider and all of that. I felt comfortable at the hospital and I felt, you know, we had the diffuser and we had the music, but I tell you now, I couldn't smell, I I have no memory of smelling a single thing and I don't remember a single song that was played. (laughs) I basically, once we got there, I just sort of went into myself and as Dave said, I pretty much had my eyes closed from 6am until when Hugo's born. So it was just, yeah, I sort of went onto another planet. We were at a private hospital, so I knew my obstetrician wasn't on that weekend and that was fine I knew who it was going to be he ended up coming in at 11 a.m checked me and I was four and a half centimeters 11 a.m which I remember being disappointed about Dave was I think not disappointed he was like oh surprised that we had gotten that far but I got on I used gas pretty early I sort of had heard that gas could interrupt your breathing and I really wanted breathing to be my main thing but I was also like well why don't I just try that from the outset and try to breathe through it I found that really great like to be honest, I don't know what it did on the pain relief front, but I found it to be a really good breathing tool in the sense that I had that feedback with every breath. I could hear the rattle. Yeah. And it was every contraction. It was just such a team effort. Like, I'm just so glad that we did the calm birth course. And as Dave says now, like he felt like if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't have done that course, he would have been just a useless member of the birthing team. Like he was just so in there. And I think it took him a while to get used to the midwife being, we sort of didn't really know whether the midwife would be in there with us all the time or how that would work and she really was just amazing midwife Belinda who was just you know she was on one side of me Dave was on the other side of me each contraction that came it was like Dave control somehow Dave ended up with control of the tens machine which a lot of people seem to be surprised by they're like well, that's putting a lot of faith in someone else but I just didn't want to have to think about anything so he the contraction would come on he would be passing me the gas thing he would be doing the tens up to the top or whatever he was then doing hectic lower back compressions it was just it was full-on I don't know. It's all a bit of a blur. I basically spent the entire time on all fours on the fit ball, sort of lying on my side with my head on the, on on its side, on a pillow on the fit ball. And then it probably, I remember there was a, there was a change. So the the midwives changed shifts at at midday and Belinda was going off. And I just, like, she was saying, I'm going to leave now and I'm handing over to whoever else. And I was like, no, you cannot do that. But I'm still here. What, what is what is we're a team what's what's gonna happen um and I was by that point I just wanted to know how much sort of I think with every contraction I was like well with the next contraction I'm going to need an epidural or something but I managed but it, with everyone I just I just focused on each one as it came and I kept pushing that thought out my view of it was that I just if I needed to have an epidural that was fine but I just wanted to see how far I could push myself and to see what I could do and yeah they had that changeover and I said oh well can you please check me can you I just I want to know where I am at I need to know what we you know am I in no man's land or am I actually getting somewhere mm-hmm. and they were I don't know it's interesting they were actually really and this might be I mean I obviously now know that there's all sorts of different views about having vaginal exams at all and um, my views on all of those things might have changed as well but at that point in time I sort of thought that the hospital would be wanting 
to check you all the time. And I, I said, I just want you to tell me where I am. And she was really resistant to doing it. And I think in that sphere, at least, they want the obstetricians to do it. For whatever reason, they don't do it. Anyway, she was like, oh, well, he's coming back. Like, And we had turned around the clocks. We had said we didn't want to know what the time was and she was all on board that. So she sort of was trying to articulate when he might be coming back without also giving me any sense of time. And I was like, I don't care who checks me. It makes no difference to me. I just, you do it, please. Um, so then she checked me and I was eight centimetres. So that was good, I felt. So that was at midday. Yeah, so they changed over and, you know, the other midwife was good as well but I think it really felt like the first midwife was there and probably because I was more conscious of things in the first half of the day the obstetrician came back in at one point in time and we sort of spoke about pain relief he gave me a pep talk about pain and how you know this this pain has a purpose there's nothing wrong with it you know there is nothing wrong with your body this is not like other forms of pain this is your body doing its work and you're bringing your baby closer to you and that kind of thing which I, I remember thinking back on and thinking I can't believe that pep talk worked like I, if someone had told me that someone was going to tell me that when I was in labor I would laugh and be like oh yeah whatever that's not going to make me feel better but it did it really did anyway I, I ended up at about 2.45 asking for more pain relief and I ended up getting morphine, which I wanted as a first step. As it turns out, like I was most definitely transitioning when I asked for that. And that's, yeah. that's my one learning. It's like, oh. And I knew that we'd, we'd learned that in the calm birth and I guess that's where, I guess, having something, you know, Dave was in the thick of it at that point too, having someone to step back and say, do you really want this or are you actually transitioning now and probably you'll be fine? Anyway, it was fine and thankfully the morphine didn't affect Hugo. It just helped me relax I think I had gone yeah. from a point of having strong powerful breaths to I remember myself whimpering through the gas thing I remember going from sort of to just <laughs> sort of just and that yeah it just it relaxed me between contractions but it did mean that I had to get on the bed because they were worried about me fainting or whatever and that was that was not a not a great thing and probably at from that point is where I sort of lost the power of that active birth that I'd been having up until that point. But yeah, that was at 2.45 p.m. and then he was born at 3.30. So I was clearly transitioning. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh, absolutely. It's so hard at that point though, isn't it, Alice? Like you could literally like study birthing every single day, but when you're in that moment, like mm. no one can be like, it's only 45 minutes, Alice. Like no one yeah, can totally. give you No that. one knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's impossible in many ways yeah. to be rational at that point. Yeah, 100%. And I think the, you know, I'd had my eyes closed the entire day by that point and then the morphine probably made me even more spacey and I remember getting to the point of pushing and the obstetrician being like, I'd like you to open your eyes and we need to like focus here. Um, and it was sort of, the, and I was like, well, I'm not opening my eyes and looking at you. Like I'll open my eyes and look at Dave. And that um, I think neither of us will ever forget the just intenseness of the stare, like the stare where you've got your eyes locked on each other. I think that's another lesson of from birth is that my perception and certainly my experience of calm birth was that there was a lot of prep for your sort of active labouring stage and not a lot of prep for pushing and what are optimal pushing positions and what you want to be doing and, and how your breath should be at that point. And, you know, you just get told, oh, your body knows what to do. You'll bear down. Like, what the hell is bearing down? No one knows what bearing down, what does that mean? And I still don't know what that means after having, you know. <laughs> and probably my pushing 
you know, it might have been necessary where I was at that point and I guess we'll never know, but I ended up pushing on my back and I feel like that was not great and that's certainly something I'd like to avoid in the future, especially because I did, my, like my pelvic pain and stuff was was fine by the time I got to labour, but I, I did have various sort of pelvic floor issues after, which mm. I now wonder like to what extent did that whole on my back, you know, a little bit coached pushing, what role did that play in it all? Yeah, so he was born at 3.30. It was an amazing, and certainly I view it as an incredibly positive birth. I felt high on life for the weeks and months that followed. He was born at 3.30, brought up onto my chest. I just felt like a shell of a human by that point. I think Dave was absolutely overcome with emotion. He, you know, burst into tears. I was a bit of a space cadet, you know, I think, and I, I try and share this with friends of mine who are having babies and, yeah. and with clients that, you know, this sort of, my baby was brought onto my chest and I was, I knew that, that you know, that was the baby that I had inside me the whole time and I loved them immediately and all that kind of, that narrative is not the case for so many women and actually probably the majority of women that's not the case for. And so, yeah, like obviously I was thrilled to have him and I just felt like I had run a marathon and had won. But the process of bonding with him was an evolutionary one and it, we built on that hour by hour and day by day. I'm, I'm a real crier in all other aspects of my life. I did not cry when he was when he was born. I was just I was just spaced out. David had burst into tears. I was space cadet. The midwives were just going about their merry business, doing whatever, and it was yeah, it was a weird was a weird vibe at that point <laughs> yeah it's so important to talk about that I think because you can't even describe that feeling can you because it is a feeling of love but it's not at all like that movie version of love that people mm. talk about I felt like I was in a submarine I felt so <laughs> out of body wild yeah yeah it's so interesting yeah and I think those feelings of love like they came the next morning when I woke up and he was in a little last bassinet beside me and it was just surreal but the that evening I mean I was just shattered um and there's a there's a photo of me we sort of yeah so he was on my chest we tried to get feeding going he really wasn't latching at that point I had a meal I had like the most amazing shower of my life and then we walked and they wanted to put me in the in a wheelchair and I was like oh no I couldn't possibly sit down right now I could not sit on happened down there um so I walked behind them and it just must have been such a funny sight walking walking from like birth suite to the ward yeah there's a photo of me at like 11 p.m that night and Hugo's feeding and I'm just like my head just lulled back I just remember dozing in and out of sleep while trying to feed him there was a midwife who came in at one point and who was essentially like milking me into him while I just came in and out of consciousness like I was just depleted but I felt I don't know there was a word I used that night and I wish so much that I wrote down the word because it was just yeah. so perfectly described how I felt and I now can't remember the word was but it was just I yeah I, I, I felt like I won the lottery I felt like I had done you know I've never done a fun run I've never done any of those things and it just felt like I had done that but times a million yeah just this immense sense of achievement it was yeah amazing mm. and was Dave able to stay with you if you were private yeah so he was amazing. and yeah it's it's honestly and it's still it, I think about it every day now in terms of you know thinking about when we'd have an next baby and what I would do because I don't know, like in an ideal world right now I would love to have a home birth and then be 
admitted for five days of amazing care <laughs> after that. If if that could do that, then that would be ideal to me because, I mean, my birth was really positive. There were some bits that I query how they would be if I had been with another sort of care setting. Yeah, so we stayed for four nights and Dave was there and we, and you hear mixed stories and I think we were, we were just, we were lucky in the sense that the midwives we got, they were all amazing. We learned mm-hmm. so much every day it felt like again we were just in this extension of the calm birth course where we were just learning all these things every midwife that came on would show us something new again like had amazing food well, at the time I was like this food is delicious and it was objectively very delicious for hospital <laughs> food like seriously yum food now what I know about postpartum nutrition and what newborn moms should be eating it was like yeah. that was not easily digestible food no. and that's probably why I was constipated <laughs> for yeah, so long totally. <laughs> so yeah he said he was there and I hate that the state of the healthcare system in Australia is what it is in the sense mm. that you you know everyone should have the option to stay and get that support you know my milk didn't come in feeding didn't properly establish for probably three days if I had been at home having to do that on my own and given the inadequate state of support you get it at your home as well it just yeah so it was I felt really lucky that we were able to do that and Dave was there the whole time and I couldn't have imagined it any other way it, I mean we joke now like I don't know we felt so if even though we had nothing to do but but everything associated with a newborn we were so yeah. busy within the confines of that one room Dave you know yeah. has an apple watch and he quite literally got 10,000 steps on every day we were in hospital he didn't leave that room we were just pacing around the room doing me ordering him to do you know get another ice pack you know whatever rocking we Hugo oh the best yeah you mentioned that milk came in at three days had you planned on breastfeeding and had you done any preparation around that yeah um I had hoped to be able to breastfeed I remember going so we did the calm birth course but we also did the hospital course and when I remember (laughs) arriving at the hospital course and the midwife saying now who's signed up to the breastfeeding class and here I was thinking that I was like the most organized pregnant person ever um and everyone in the room had their hand up for this breastfeeding class and I was like what no one I I have not enrolled in the breastfeeding class and I thought that the breastfeeding class was one of the things they offered to you like you could just drop in on while you're at the hospital so that was awkward thankfully she got me enrolled and yeah so I did a breastfeeding class at the hospital while I was still pregnant and I think that was yeah that was really great um, obviously there's a limit on what you can learn while you don't have a baby in front of you but I think the main messaging in that was really just what is normal infant behavior and really preparing you for the fact that you could be feeding upwards of 12 times a day and 10 to 12 nappies a day and yeah. let's put this on a like let's do a whiteboard where we show that many t- feeds a day and how that looks and how you're not going to be able to achieve pretty much anything else except feeding your baby and sort of really adjusting everyone's expectations and so between that and I also listened to a lot of again probably podcasts that came up on the ones I listened to but also the Australian breastfeeding podcast Lizzie Prout's one which I found really great and I still refer lots of people to that yeah just hearing those stories I found really good in just going into it with a sense of, I guess, just awareness of what could happen. It probably was a little bit of an affront to me for the first, 
I don't know, I, I describe it as it taking a while for breastfeeding to work properly once Sierra arrived and Dave doesn't necessarily remember it the same way. But I think, you know, I've a bit of a, you know, I'm an A-type personality. I've obviously achieved certain things in like the professional setting and mm. then to be breastfeeding and feeling like it just sort of wasn't working and probably I think we, I can't even remember what day it was, maybe day two or even day three, um, there were like urates in Hugo's nappy so he wasn't getting enough milk at that point and there was a sort of I mean I'm, again I'm grateful for the midwives that I ended up with at no point was there any suggestion of we're going to give him formula or anything like that like they trusted that my milk would come in and that that he was okay um, but they were monitoring it carefully and then my milk did come in and I will never forget so we had so many visitors in hospital and that is another <laughs> major change and lesson that I have now learned and I'll never forget a visitor had arrived like it was just a revolving door we would have you know numerous people come every day and I was so happy and wanting to share the amazing story of his birth and everything that I that I sort of that I wanted them there at the time or at least I thought I wanted them there and so that was exhausting but I remember yeah having what felt like the first proper feed and that was probably on the Thursday or maybe the Wednesday and he was born on Sunday and we just settled in and it was like oh my god this is working and then a visitor came and I was sitting there and I was like this feeding is working I then just got overwhelmed with like I just felt so hot I just had the major sweats which I had been having a little bit but it probably kicked in properly because my milk was actually properly coming through then Mm. and then I remember sitting on I'm sitting on this chair I'm sweating feeding is working but then I honestly felt like I had I would step up from that chair and the chair would be completely soaked but it was the first one of those proper contractions of my uterus because it was the first proper feed um and I'm sitting there and I'm like why have I got a visitor here this is just (laughs) this is ridiculous oh Alice yeah I had moments of worry like this this is not going to work. Maybe, maybe I'm not going to be able to breastfeed him. That was thankfully short-lived and my milk came in and I have, you know, just hilarious selfies that I talk of myself in the mirror of my like Pamela Anderson boobs. Um, Fortunately, we had a really, a really good breastfeeding journey from, from then on. Yeah, it was, it all went really well. I had a very good supply. I, I remember literally like every two hours, like clockwork, I would feel a tingle and I'd look down and my boobs would be like spraying milk. Um, so I was I was a leaker and I would wake up in like a puddle of, you know, oh, we probably yeah. should have, you know, got a new mattress by now because there was a lot of breast milk <laughs> Sour milk mattress, yeah. yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was a bit of a slow start, but yeah, it was all really good after then. And what was it like taking Hugo home? Yeah, I remember my brother saying to me, like, that's when it all feels real. Like, it's exciting and that's when it sort of all sets in and that's sort of where the excitement starts. And yeah, it was good. He was a very relaxed baby and is still a very relaxed baby. And like, we were very fortunate in the hospital. He was just very relaxed. He then, you know, we brought the capsule up on the day we were leaving. He was asleep in the capsule as we left the hospital. He slept the entire time home we walked in the door he was still asleep it was it was it was yeah really nice having him home it's complicated because yeah so we had probably three weeks so Dave was taking four weeks off work initially he worked somewhere where they have really generous I say generous it should be the norm but generous by objective standards parental leave and his plan was to take four weeks of leave at the beginning and then when I went back to work he would take a large chunk so he was home for the first four weeks which was just 
Amazing. And again, like we filled our days. Like my mum brought us a lot of food. We didn't cook for the first two or three weeks and we would fill our days without entering the kitchen. And that was me having the benefit of having Dave there. And I honestly, I just, everyone should have, be able to have that level of support and more. Yeah. Yeah. But so we had a lot of visitors and I feel vexed about it because I wanted it and then it would get to 7 p.m. every night and I would, I would burst into tears at 7 p.m. every night. And it was just, it was exhausting. It wasn't, it wasn't even, it wasn't a baby blues kind of thing it was I mean you know to an extent it probably was it was the hormones and it was the exhaustion I wasn't sitting there quietly while people came over I was like talking their heads off the entire time they were over but we did that and then we sort of got to a point where we said okay let's stop the visitors because we've only got one more week before Dave goes back to work and you know I can I'll want contact more once he's back at work but then everything changed then we have had a lot of friends living overseas at that point and they were already in lockdown. So I remember the first night we were in hospital for whatever reason. We had ABC on for a hot minute and there was like a four corners on the Wuhan virus. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah. this is irrelevant. We can turn this off. But then, yeah, three weeks later, we are like, let's just not see visitors because we need to relax anyway. But then we had friends overseas who were locking down. We were, it seemed as though we were far off that, but we were also just nervous because, you know, well, if it's happening there, it's going to happen here and we have this tiny newborn. And so, yeah, we had too many visitors, but by the same token, if we didn't have that many visitors, then people wouldn't have met Hugo for a very long time. Feels like we were then sort of locked down in various forms for the rest of the year. And how are you feeling physically after the birth? I was in a lot of pain. My Mm. pelvis had pain had probably come back a little bit and I had an episiotomy and that, I mean, again, don't know whether I would have ended up with that in all care settings. I mean, Hugo had a 98th percentile head, so maybe I would have. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that actually, that was probably one of the big surprises in terms of just how much pain that caused me. Like I was on quite heavy painkillers for several weeks and mm. I think that combined with the pelvic pain just contributed to this sort of mental thing of feeling like there was just a lot of bad going on yeah. and yeah I probably needed to spend more time lying down than I did so I was in quite a bit of pain but otherwise like good <laughs> but that was no small thing no absolutely not and you mentioned earlier experiencing some pelvic floor challenges or differences can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it was probably the, at least at that point, I thought it was just an extension of the pelvic girdle pain. Like it was mm. just that sort of heaviness hurting. I didn't have any prolapse or anything like that. And I remember being pretty worried that I did um, and going back to my obstetrician and she was like, you are all good. I think it was just in my mind, I had equated the sort of the healing of the, of the episiotomy and a scar tissue around that with other things. But then probably a few months, so I went and saw a women's health physio at the six-week mark. Like I was aware by that point that that was something that I should definitely do. And she diagnosed me as having an overactive pelvic floor. So I think that contributed to a lot of the pain. And I now wonder whether that was part of it in late pregnancy as well and and also like god knows how long I've had that for and that's an interesting one it's something that I wasn't aware was a thing at the time um and since becoming aware of it and navigating all of that and you know I've been fortunate it hasn't aside from the pain that it was causing me if I did too much walking and things like that I haven't you know had any incontinence or anything like that but because of that because I didn't have those signs it's sort of easier to forget about it as well and then it's like well no this is still an issue I need to spend time I need to do the exercise you know it's just so hard as with all the 
these things. I actually remember sitting in chambers at the court being like, oh, crap, I haven't done, I've like, I've not been doing Kegel exercises. That's not a thing I've been doing. That's a thing I should do. And I remember sitting there doing them at my desk, like in late pregnancy. I should have been relaxing. And so, yeah, so who knows when that came on? And that is still an issue for me. It was bad on and off throughout the whole of last year and then sort of seemed to resolve itself with quite a lot of physio and like manual therapy. And then I sort of returned to work in February and resumed a sedentary lifestyle Um, and because I wasn't moving much it wasn't causing me issues and then even recently since I dropped down my work days and I'm I'm being more active you know I went back to Pilates on Monday I'm I'm, like my pelvic floor is hurting all my pelvis is hurting like today so yeah it is an ongoing thing yeah it is easy to get caught up in like the busyness of the day and realize like you Mm. get to the end of the week like holy shit like I haven't Mm. done anything for my body this week yeah totally let's talk a little bit about returning to work what was that like doing the full-time lawyer work while also spending every spare minute listening to birth and postpartum podcasts and scrolling my Instagram feed of all of the content of this birth and postpartum world that I still just couldn't stop being interested in by that point I had decided that that was like probably more than like some people just have their baby and then sort of get over that and then, and so it was something, it was something more than that. And so I had decided, and by that point I had also been listening to Julia Jones, who's a postpartum doula and has a postpartum professional course, has a podcast called Newborn Mothers. And I'd started listening to that, which was basically doulas talking about their life. And every episode of that, I was just like, oh my God, like I need to do this. You know, it got to a point where mum was helping to look after Hugo as well. Um, and, you know, mum and, and Dave and Hugo were all doing all these things at the park and Hugo was doing all these things that I had never seen him do. And so I felt like I was missing out on him mm. um, and I was working full time in something that had always been what I thought I wanted to do um, and I had, you know, been working for a long time getting to where I had got to mm. um, and had always viewed myself as someone who was going to be a career person. I'd have a baby, but my life wouldn't change. And, you know, I'd, you know, I'd return to work full time. And I, like, I remember sitting in women in the law breakfasts where there'd be partners talking about balancing their careers with a family. And I remember literally, you know, thinking, oh, that's not going to be a problem for me because, you know, I'll just do both. And, and I'm, you know, I won't even work part time. I'll just work full time because yeah. that's what I want to do. <laughs> and, and then I came back and I was like, this is not me. And I just want to listen. I just want to talk about birth all the time. And I just want to <laughs> talk to mums about what newborn life is like. And that's what I want to do. And I remember going to this yoga class with this teacher who is amazing and very sort of life coachy. And he was talking about ambition and it was about letting go of your former self and finding mm. your new purpose and all of this stuff. And I burst into tears and I cried through the entire mm. yoga class. And it was a real wake-up call, (laughs) yeah. And so since then I've been working on establishing my business as a postpartum doula. I've had just an amazing, I guess, level of transformation. I think it started, I started becoming aware of it even when I got pregnant. You know, I went from having the whiteboard, which had my plotted out plans to, you know, go to the bar and do all of these things to then being like, 
no, actually, I'm just going to slow down. And I'm going to focus on what's happening right now. Like I love being, and that's been one of, I guess, the biggest surprises of all of this. I always knew, like I liked kids and I used to always babysit and nanny and I enjoyed all of that. And I knew I would want to have my own kids, but I never, I never thought I would love it, love it. And I never thought that I could easily be a full-time mum and, and not want to do anything else. But I, but I could. I've spoken to a lot of friends about this recently and I've, I've got so many friends and we feel really vexed. And I think so much of it comes from the fact that we've, we have this generation of mothers ahead of us who have had to break through ceilings to get to certain places and that led to us feeling like we needed to do all of the things and sometimes we don't we've now reaching a point where I I don't want to I actually don't want to and I wonder like listening to you speak I just honestly feel like I could just be screaming like yes 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 from (laughs) the rooftops but is it just parenthood or do you think it's the amalgamation of parenthood in this really wild time we find ourselves in because for me I know becoming a mother has changed me in ways that I could have never imagined but I also have like less fucks to give now I think COVID has really shown us that you can have absolutely everything in order like everything on paper Mm. in order and it can be swept away in, in the fastest of moments do you think for those of us that became parents in 2020 this is a more profound feeling or is it just parenthood yeah <laughs> give no fucks I mean I also I mean I, I probably always given no fucks it's <laughs> <laughs> a good way definitely been exacerbated um by parenthood and all of the and and this this shift as well but um yeah I think the COVID thing it did I mean it meant that I spent a lot more time at home taking things slowly just being in our small family unit not having I, we, I didn't have rush to go to certain events and I didn't have that pressure of feeling like I maybe should catch up with work people or whatever and it probably did give me more of the space to actually work out what mattered Mm. Um, and certainly as with many people during all of this I realized that you know people who are fortunate enough to be in happy family environments have realized that that is what's important to them. I think it would have been harder to lean into all of this if life was busy as it normally is and if everyone wasn't working from home. So, yeah, it probably has has a little bit. And talk to me about that identity shift. So how has the identity shift been for you? It's just major. I think a big thing for me is letting go of ego and mm. because the kinds of things I've done and particularly the role at the court, people sort of view that as a a certain career move and then they expect you to go and study at Oxford or they expect you to go and sit the bar exam and then become a barrister and then do all sorts of fancy pants things and feeling like, and I felt it when I was pregnant at the court and I had gone from thinking I would study to do the bar exam to then deciding I wouldn't and then seeing all these other people going on and doing that and having to let go of the comparison-itis kind of thing and be like, I don't want that. Like I genuinely know I don't want that. Um, And even now I, and I think I've gotten better at it and I've really gotten to a point now where I genuinely don't care. But even, even three months ago I was thinking, I was having that thinking of, oh, what will this person and that person think because they would have expected Mm. that I would have done a certain thing and they would think that you know by now I will be at this point in my career I had this sort of return to work coaching thing organized by work which was helpful and I sort of said something to her along the lines of you know am I just lazy am I just not wanting to you know complete 
the thing that, you know, I'm wanting to do this, that and the other thing. And she said, no, you're not mm-hmm. lazy. It, the lazy person would just stay on the track that you're on and you'd just yeah. keep working hard and you'd rise up the hierarchy and, you know, you'd get that promotion and whatever. You're like not bit, you're doing the opposite of lazy because you're actually seeking out all of these things which are hard. Yes. Um, and I'm not sort of, you know, I now sound like I'm patting myself on the back, but it's sort of that, yeah, actually just reframing it. It's been a big shift in letting go and in reclassifying in my mind what it is that I want and what my role of a lawyer is now. And that is that it's part of me, but it is certainly not the whole of me. And right now my cup is being filled by my time as a mum and by all of my work building up this business to support other mums. My experiences meeting up with the clients have just, you know, I walk away from those meetings and it's like, oh, if this can be my job to support Mm -hmm. other women through this amazing but really hard time where people do need to have just that one voice that can give them the confidence that, you know, they have the tools to look after their baby, but they just need to tune into them and they need to shut out the background noise and they need to put themselves and their babies first. All those kinds of conversations, just I walk away from them feeling so happy. A big part of what I want to do is to get that message out there and to show people that everyone can and should have that kind of support. And it's about making people aware of why you would need that support and what it looks like. And once you actually have that conversation with people, and so often it only that you only get to have that conversation once they've already had one postpartum period and they realise how much better a second one could be if they had the yeah. right supports in place. And once they hear all of that laid out for them, it's like, oh, that sounds amazing. And yes. I, how can I get one of those? <laughs> yes, sign me up. Yeah, totally. Care and support shouldn't be a luxury. Like this shouldn't mm. be something that we think like, oh, that would be nice if we could afford it. What we need to be doing is having, like you're saying, these conversations in mainstream spaces so that it might not necessarily mean that everyone has a postpartum doula, but at least thinking about like, I could connect my friends and families with meal train, or I know how to ask for the support that I want and need, or I'm not alone in feeling like a completely different person. This is huge, big, bold work. It's hard. Parenthood is hard. It's hard and it can absolutely change you. Like I just, Mm. I feel unrecognizable in so many ways, um, in a good way, but it's wild. And, and I think it's, it's hard having like, even I was at a family dinner last week with again, a whole category of women, a generation up from me who have had these professional careers and have navigated being a parent with their professional lives and honestly don't understand how I could want to be doing this kind of thing. They're like, so you're telling me, like, this is postpartum doula aside, this is more just like me saying I would happily hang out with Hugo five days a week. They're like, so you, you really, you would just, you happily play with him five days a week, just, just hang at home and do all that stuff. I'm like, yeah. And I'm 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 saying, and I'm really (laughs) And I, I wish I could do that, but we don't, yeah. you know, in a city, Melbourne, Australian living, we don't have the luxury of being able to do this one income thing. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's just, it's really interesting, the the generational, there's, you know, there's been so many changes and it's like sort of, I feel a little bit full circle, obviously. And I think the difference is the choice part of it. Mm. Talk to me about community for you. What does that look like 
16 months into parenthood. We live in Yarraville, um, which is not where either our families live mm. and we don't really have any, like pre-baby, didn't have any close friends living in the area. Like all of our close friends friends live, you know, within 20 minutes, so not far but not close. We got a parents group which was like the first round of COVID parents groups. Um, so it was online but completely shambolic. Like yeah. they did not know how to do it um, and they didn't even do they made no attempt to even offer the sort of content they do in the face-to-face one so it was just Mm. sort of like despite we beat the odds and despite all of that of course um I then became the you know person who set up the whatsapp group or whatever because that's (laughs) just the kind of person I am um and we all continued the relationship on whatsapp and between Mm. lockdowns managed to have catch-ups and things and we still you know every few Friday nights we'll just make a last minute decision and all go out for drinks and that's been a real success and from that I've I've got a few really close friends who two of whom have their own small businesses and have been just such a massive source of support in terms of really leaning into the creativity and sort of boldness of taking the jump into this postpartum doula work Mm. Um, but also just an amazing community in terms of parenting alongside them and I feel like that yeah so through becoming parents we've been able to develop that close community in our area that we didn't have before and Mm. it's just yeah it made a real it's just so lovely like I spent today you know just being able to walk somewhere and and end up with a close friend who has a baby the same age and do things together have weekend like we'll often have a 5pm dinner on a weeknight and then bath the babies together and just do that. Yeah, and I guess I think I think I posted about this on my Instagram a few weeks ago about that whole, that raising children together and that feeling of community mm. that none of us have and you don't know how good it is until you have samples of it. And I had... Totally. Yeah, so I have the, the close friends locally and then I have my two best friends who have babies who are the similar age and we, as I said, we had pregnancy together. Newborn weeks, we were texting at all hours of the morning together we Mm -hmm. were then that was one of the most unfortunate bits about the lockdowns was Mm -hmm. we were going to have our maternity leaves together and we ended up we did but we were all just texting each other from the couch while all watching Dan Andrews press conferences at the same time Um, (laughs) but since then and since the world has become slightly more normal in Victoria for now Mm -hmm. um, we've been able to do the things that we missed out on in the sense like we had a sort of sleepover weekend a few weekends ago where we had just the the partners were all they went away and we're at home we were at home with the babies we did have another weekend where we were not with the babies so it's all been very equal but um the weekend when we were at home with the babies together it was just so good like just that feeling of cooking together one person's doing the bath the other person's doing the food there's always someone just like with an eye on children while you do something else and it just it gives you that window into what life could be if we all lived in you know an idyllic farm environment where we all had neighboring properties and babies (laughs) played out in the back garden together and you did meals like it's just yeah it's hard doing these things in isolation and I think Dave and I did feel that you know a few months like we had the meals initially and then they dropped off Uh, my mum still did a lot um, but that's certainly not every night just that feeling like you are a bit, you're a bit alone and no one else really understands just how hard it is. And of course, people do once they go through it themselves, but people quickly mm. forget. So you do, you need to have people in the trenches with you at the same time. And that's why having those close friends that we have been fortunate to make through mum's group and having my two other close friends at the same time has just, 
yeah, is just such a major saving grace and has kept me sane and has given me the confidence to do all of the things that I'm doing now. So, yeah. Oh, it's so important, Alice. Just seeing yourself mirrored back at you is like, oh, important, really important. Absolutely. If you could go back to Alice pre-Hugo, what would you say to yourself? <sighs> I think just like you're going to really love it and just keep your mind open and mm. trust yourself. And he's going, he will sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like stop clenching your jaw because every time, like honestly, I kept my jaw clenched for the first six weeks, which probably contributed to all of my pelvic issues too. <laughs> but like um, just you, and it's so hard because when yeah. when you've got a baby crying, you feel like every second is an eternity. But, yeah, just you've got this. Like you, you've got this. You will do it and you'll be good at it. Yeah. And, Alice, how can people find a little bit more about you? How can they find your offerings? Yeah, so um, you can follow me on Instagram at Village For Me and my website is villageforme.com. Yes, I'm I'm helping mums in their mums and dads and parents in their postpartum really for however long they want and in whatever form they need really. So, yeah, get in touch. I'm always up for a chat. It has been such a delight chatting with you. I know this won't be our only conversation because I'm no. a little bit low-key thinking, are you my new BFF? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As someone said to me the other day, I, I mean, I was, again, the beauty of Instagram as someone, I ended up connecting with someone who actually shared a very similar path from law into the world of mothering and never met her, but I've heard of her and um, we've now been chatting over Instagram and she was like, COVID has done away with social norms. Like come down yes. to my house. Let's be friends. Let's have a play day. It's on. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Oh, Alice, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story. It's been such a delight listening. Thank you. I've had a lovely time. It is such a joy to share these stories with you each week. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review or share it with someone in your very own kin. You can see all of the gorgeous images of the families that join me each week and get the latest news from kin on Instagram at kinbycharlotte. I can't wait to chat with you next week. Mm -hmm.